0: Think of no more powerful prayer for the church to pray in our time than the Holy Spirit, uh, a prayer that the Holy Spirit would come and be active uh, and reign uh, among His people. This morning I want to begin a four-study part uh, four study series called Kingdom Secrets. And I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark and the fourth chapter, and verse 11 and 12 uh, is going to be the center, kind of the hinge on which these uh, four messages, four sermons, uh, will develop out of. In uh, Mark chapter 4, Jesus teaches four parables. Uh, A parable is a kingdom story, a story designed to share uh, uh, an important principle about the kingdom of God. And uh, uh, there are four of them in this section of Scripture. The longest by far is uh, the first one that we're going to look into uh, this morning. Uh, and I will be studying over the next uh, three weeks uh, three other parables or kingdom stories uh, that uh, Jesus shares. Now, uh, will you read with me Mark chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. This is right in the middle of, uh, actually we we'll begin with verse 10, right in the middle uh, of this parable and ex- explanation. It says in verse 10, when uh, Jesus was alone, Uh, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables that he had been teaching. And Jesus told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. That's the title of the series. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may ever be seen but never perceiving ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. The secrets of the kingdom of God. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God was at the very center of everything that Jesus did in His ministry. Jesus' ministry begins in, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, according to Mark's account, uh, with this statement. Jesus comes and says He's preaching, and He says the theme of His preaching is this, the kingdom of God is near. So repent and believe the good news. I believe that every one of Jesus' miracles were performed to show what life in the kingdom of God should really be like, because God did not intend for us to live lives of defeat and Uh, lives of sin and sickness and brokenness. That wasn't the case in the garden in the beginning, and it's certainly not the case in the kingdom of heaven, and it's certainly not how God designs our lives to be right now. Now, we all have to live with sickness and, and heartache and trouble, and they have a purpose in our lives, but I want you to understand that Jesus' miracles all were to show to people that the kingdom of God has indeed come. And through the miracles, through changed lives, through healing, through walking on water and all of that, Jesus simply wanted to show what life in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God was really like. You might remember that when Jesus' apostles said, would you tell me or teach us uh, how to pray, that Jesus begins by praying and he, he prays that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven would come to us today would be real reality in our lives. You see, so many of us as Christians, we want to just kind of live our lives the way we want to live our lives all week long and then come to church on Sunday morning and not have the kingdom of God impact us in any real way. But Jesus said, no, even in our prayers we should be praying, God, we want your kingdom to fall on us and to be real in us and change the way our marriages and our families and our lives and our work and everything else around us uh, happens. Jesus taught many, many parables. Parables were just stories, illustrations, just common stories, but they were given for a purpose. They were given to teach a kingdom secret, to give a kingdom principle, to make plain something that was not plain. 99 times in the New Testament, the phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is used. 99 times. And 85 of those times, they're used by Jesus himself. So I want you to understand that Jesus' ministry was completely about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew uh, always says. Now Jesus says in these two verses of Scripture, uh, three verses of Scripture, 10, 11, and 12, He says that the parables that I'm teaching have two purposes. Now, number one, they're, I've given them to reveal to you. And number two, I've given them to conceal from others. Many things about the kingdom of God we just don't understand, right? In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, it says talks about the secret things of God. And there are many secret things of God that we just don't understand. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9, it talks about the mystery of God's will active in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19, it talks about the mystery of the gospel, the opportunity the gospel has to change incredible lives. Now Jesus says in verse 10, 11, 12, that I've taught to you in parables for two reasons. Number one... I want to make kingdom secrets apparent to people that are following me. I want my disciples, individuals that are following me, to understand depths about the kingdom of God that they never understood before. The Bible says the Holy Spirit has been given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to make plain to us the secrets of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, comes to reveal to us through these stories what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is really like. But he says something quite interesting, verse 12. He said, not everybody understands what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, he said, the stories that I'm giving you have been given in such a way so that people who are not following me, man, they'll walk away and they'll say, man, Jesus is talking riddles. Jesus talking in puzzles. It's like he's talking around in circles, and thus it is with people. Whoever, whenever they hear the word of God spoken, for some it, it's clear and it's brilliant. The Holy Spirit is inspiring them and filling them so that they can understand the concepts that are being given. And for other individuals, man, it's a puzzle, it's a riddle, and you're thinking, oh, "What on earth? What on earth is the Scripture saying to us here?" Now, the next four weeks, as I said, we're going to be talking about four stories. I'll be preaching a couple sermons there and preaching a couple sermons. We're going to focus on four stories that we see in Mark chapter 4 that all four of them reveal a different kingdom secret. Today what I want to talk about is the potential of kingdom words in your life. The potential of kingdom words in your life. Now, the story is given in uh, beginning of verse 3. It's a fascinating story. Jesus gives it. It's very familiar. It's probably one of his most familiar parables. He says in verse 3, listen. Now, I want you to notice verse 3 and verse 9 both uh, have exactly the same uh, emphasis. Listen, pay attention, open your ears, open your minds, catch what I'm saying at the end in verse 9. Jesus says, whoever has ears, uh, let him hear what I, I am giving you to say. Now, this is the story that Jesus gives. He said there was a farmer, and the farmer goes out to sow seed. <clears throat> now, in those days, a guy would have a sack of seed across his shoulder, and he'd put his hand in the sack, and he'd walk through the field, and he'd just broadcast seed as it was going. Now, this farmer, it appears at first, is not very smart. Because as he's throwing out seed, some of the seed is falling on the pathway that's running through the middle of the field. We're saying to ourselves, what a dummy. You know, why do he save that seed and put it on good ground? But as he's throwing the seed, other seed begins falling on rocky soil. And we're saying to ourselves, why would you waste seed by throwing it on the rocks? Over here's good soil. Take that seed and only put it over here. And some of the seed, as he's throwing it, is falling among weeds you're saying to yourself, weeds? Why would you throw good seed into weeds? Why not in the, good, in the good soil? But finally, there's some seed that falls on the good ground. Now the seed on the soil, very quickly, the, or rather on the pathway, very quickly the birds come and they eat up the, the seed and it's taken away. The seed that falls in the a ground that's shallow with rocks underneath, man, the seed springs up immediately and begins to grow, but because it doesn't have any roots at all, it soon withers and, and dies. Now, see seed is thrown out among the, 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 the weeds. It makes no sense in our minds why He would do this, but He throws a seed out among the weeds, and as the weed, seeds germinate and grow, there are already weeds in the, in the ground, and the weeds choke out the seed so it can't produce any fruit at all. But only on the good ground. Only on the good ground does the, the, the seed germinate and sprout and grow and produce a miraculous type of a reward. Some 30 times its amount, others 60, others 100 times more than what has been planted. I've gardened uh, all of my life, and I want to tell you something, for one seed to multiply itself to uh, 30 times, that's remarkable. To 60 and to 100, you need to understand, those are impossible numbers. Now, Jesus shares this story with us. The question has to be asked, what on earth is Jesus talking about? I said that parables are always stories with a kingdom purpose, a kingdom principle that Jesus wanted to share. And the question is, what is it that Jesus wanted to share in this parable? I believe there are two different secrets that are in this story. Write down the first one if you would. Kingdom secret number one. And that is that kingdom words can have kingdom potential in our lives. Kingdom words can have kingdom potential in our lives. In verse 14, Jesus begins to explain the parable. He says, the farmer sows the word. We need to understand that the seed that Jesus is talking about is is not only the gospel, but it's also all of scripture uh, as well. In Luke chapter 8, and verse 11, uh, Jesus says, the seed is the word of God. What I want you to understand is that the Word of God is being sown into a person's life. It has amazing potential for kingdom growth in that person's life. It's a miraculous thing that takes place. That's one of the reasons why I continue to preach uh, week after week after week. Man, I've been doing this for a lot of years, and I was wondering the other day, why do I keep doing this? I remember the passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 that gives me the reason. Paul says, Timothy, preach the Word. Teach it in season and out of season. Teach it when people want to listen and when they don't want to listen. Teach it when people are listening and looking with itching ears to to, uh, someone that would speak a simpler, easier message for them to follow. But you, Timothy, you preach the Word. Folks, the Word of God has the power to change a person's life. And that's why I continue to preach week after week after week. Verse 20 describes the kingdom potential of the gospel and all of the the word of God in a person's life to change their life. It says in verse 20, Other seed, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Folks, verse 20 describes the kingdom potential of the gospel and of all of the Bible to change a person's life. Let me give you two things about the potential, the kingdom potential of the word in our lives. Number one, the words of the gospel can save a lost soul. The words of the gospel alone can save a lost soul. Would you put a bookmarker here, and I want you to go with me to the gospel. I'm sorry, the book of Romans, two, or three books over to the right. The book of Romans in the first chapter, Paul writes about his motivation for preaching. And I want you to notice what he says. Why he constantly just keeps on presenting the gospel to people regardless of what they do. Listen to what he says. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First to the Jew, and then for the Gentile. Do you realize that the Bible says that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but through the living Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, You were included in Christ when you heard the Word of truth, the gospel, of your salvation. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Folks, I want you to understand that the word of Christ, the gospel of Christ, has the potential of saving a lost soul. I had a friend of mine, uh, a really uh, good friend of mine, Vince Antonucci, pre- he preaches now uh, on uh, uh, in Vegas, on the strip in Vegas. And uh, he's a radical kind of guy and uh, has, has had a powerful ministry uh, among lost people all of his life. And there's a reason for that. The reason was that when he was in law school and college, he decided that uh, he had never read the Bible. Now, Vince had never, ever, 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 never, ever, do you understand, been to church before. Ever. His father was a professional gambler. All right, they likely do not go to church. Okay, and, and, and his mom—I didn't ever hear anything about his mom—but Vince had never gone to church ever in his life. Well, one day when he was in law school, he decided that he ought to read the Bible. You know, he was reading a lot of the classics of literature. And he thought, you know, what? the Bible is one of those classics, and I, you know, I ought to read what the Bible is. So he began Genesis, read all the way through the Book of Revelation. During his reading, he became nobody ever talked to him. He became convinced that he needed to become a Christian. And so he accepted Jesus as a, as a Savior. And he said, you know what? The Bible says I need to be baptized. Nobody had ever told him that. He just read it in the Bible. I need to be baptized. And so he thought, I guess what he'd do is call a church and get baptized. You know, I don't know. So he, this is a true story. He, he decided, you know, I'm going to, I need to find a church. So he looked in the yellow pages and he thought, I want to, I want to become a Christian. All kinds of churches listed, but he went down the list and he said, Oh, there's a Christian church. I guess Christians go to Christian churches. And he, he called the minister there and said, I, yeah, I, I want to be baptized. I want you to baptize me. Who taught you that? The Bible taught me that. Uh, you know, and he started quoting scripture to him like he was trying to convince the preacher uh, to, uh, to uh, allow him to be baptized. Folks, my friend Vince Antonucci accepted Jesus Christ and became a preacher not because anybody ever said a word to him, but because the word of God, the gospel, spoke into his life. I know the gospel speaks into your life and has at one point in time if you've accepted Jesus as Savior of your life. This morning, if you haven't, it be my prayer that the gospel would speak into your life. The gospel is simply about Jesus coming and dying on a cross so that you could have forgiveness of your sins as he paid the price of, uh, of your sins. The words of the gospel can save a life, but the potential, the kingdom potential of kingdom words in our life are also seen in the fact, number two, that, kingdom, that, that the words of Scripture can make you holy. Not only can words of the gospel save you, but words of scripture can make you a holy person. Now, I do not understand this, but I know that it's true. People who are in the word on a regular basis have the potential of the Holy Spirit working in their heart and bringing about a change from the inside out in their lives. And people who are not in scripture on a regular basis, man, they just lose that opportunity. How do I know that? Take your Bible, you're in Romans, go back a couple of books to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 17, records the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. Now, Jesus certainly prayed longer than this, but it's the longest prayer that we have uh, recorded of what Jesus actually said. It was prayed uh, on, uh, on the, uh, at, at the uh, uh, Last Supper when He instituted the Lord's Supper we celebrated a few minutes ago. But right in the middle of that, there's a statement that Jesus makes. And I want you to see what He says. Chapter 17, John, verse 17. Jesus is praying for his disciples and potential followers of uh, the word of God. And this is what he says in verse 17. Sanctify them. The word is make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. Now, how does that work itself out in our lives? How does the word of God... Change us into holy individuals. Well, the Holy Spirit works in a mysterious way to bring about a change in our life. But I want you to hear what Scripture has to say about it. In Hebrews chapter four and verse twelve through thirteen, it says the Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must all give an account. Scripture says as we begin reading the Word, the Word's like a sword that begins cutting into our hearts and our lives. I've seen it happen in individuals' lives over the years, and it's an amazing thing to see them begin to take on the study of God's Word in in a real way, to be able to see how the Word of God is shifting and changing their lives. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and he says all Scripture, every word in Scripture, every word, even the words that caused me to scratch my head. This morning about 5 o'clock, I was reading the book of Ecclesiastes, verse seven, chapter 7, 8, 9, and I was so puzzled. I was so puzzled because, you know, I've always uh, remembered that the Bible says a happy face then makes the heart glad. But uh, in Ecclesiastes, it says a sad face helps the heart. And I'm thinking, God, are you confused here? I I don't don't understand all of this is what's going on. The Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. From time to time I'm asked, "You know, why do you include so much Scripture in uh, the sermons that you share with us? Can I tell you why? Because the words of the Gospel have the potential to save people, not my words. And the words of Scripture have the potential to bring about holiness in a person's life. Not my words. And I know that as the Word of God is spoken, there's huge potential for lives to be changed. Huge potential as the Word of God begins to generate in a person's life. Folks, I want you to understand that there is massive kingdom potential in the Word of God in your life. It can save you. It can make you holy in your life as you get into it. That's the point of the story that Jesus gives. Go back to Mark chapter 4 and verse 14 and 20. In verse 14 it says that the sower goes out and he just begins throwing seed out there and as the seed is thrown out there, uh, there's the potential of huge, huge growth. Now I said that this parable is very confusing for us to understand and one of the reasons for That we are thinking through Western eyes, not through Middle Eastern eyes. Can I give you this concept here for just a moment? In our way of sowing seed, a farmer goes out before he ever is going to sow the seed and he gets his tractor with a plow on the back of it and he runs through the field. And what's he doing? He's plowing up the ground, making it fertile. You know, he might even put in fertilizer. He'll, he'll cultivate the soil. He make, he'll make sure that the ground is good. And then only after that, he'll go and he'll sow seed on the ground so that it'll come upright. Does that make sense to you? That's not the way it was done in Jesus' day in Palestine, the first century. And you may say, well, this is stupid. We're not judging whether it was right or wrong. We're just saying this is the story that Jesus was given and this is uh, what everybody would understand. A farmer in Jesus' day would simply go out with a pack of seed and he would begin throwing seed. He hadn't cultivated the ground. He hadn't plowed it yet. and hadn't done anything to prepare the ground. He would just throw seed and as the seed scattered, was, some of it would land in the weeds and others would land uh, on the rocks and others would land on the path and some of it would land on the good soil. And only after that the farmer would then go out and plow the ground, hopefully making it ground that would produce seed. Now that's totally backwards to us. I think there's a huge lesson about grace in there. Because if the seed of the gospel was only sown into a heart that was ready and receptive and prepared to hear the gospel, I would never have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior of my life. Because I was a little kid and I was hellbound and man, I, uh, you know, I, I was not thinking about the gospel. I wasn't concerned about any of that. But the seed was sown on a regular basis into my life. And somehow it was cultivated, and somehow it began to grow and spring up. That might be your story as well. It's a story of incredible grace as we see the seed sown. But there's a secret, second secret that I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture. And write it down. That is that kingdom words, remember we've defined that as the gospel and all of Scripture, kingdom words always face satanic hindrances. Kingdom words always face satanic hindrances. That's what we read about in verse 15 to 19 as Jesus describes the parable. And he gives three different hindrances from the gospel or the word of God working in a person's life. And I know as a preacher that every time I I, I preach that, that the word of God is facing these same hindrances in the lives and the minds of the people that I'm talking to. And so I don't get frustrated people don't listen because it's not listening to me that concerns me. It's the issue they're not listening to what the Word of God has to say in their life and the three reasons why that occurs. The first reason is the reason of hardness. Hardness. Hardness of heart. Verse 15. Jesus says in verse 15, Some people are like the seed along the path where the Word of God is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. St Corinthians chapter four and verse four, uh, chapter four and verse four records this statement about Satan. It says, "The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel of the glory of Christ." The Bible says for people that do not know Jesus as Savior of their life, that it's like Satan has put blinders on them so that they cannot see. They cannot begin to conceptualize what the gospel is all about. This is what I know is true. I know it's true because I've seen it in my life as well. That same principle, I believe, applies in the life of a believer as well. This is what I mean by that. I believe that our ears can be blocked up, plugged up to what the Bible has to say and our eyes can be totally closed to what the Scripture has to say in our lives whenever because of much repeated sin in our lives. That goes unconfessed. Man, we just do the same sin over and over again. doesn't matter whether it's a terrible dark sin or whether it's one of those nice sins that we do. But whenever there's repeated sin in our lives that we have not repented of, man, I want you to understand, your heart becomes hardened to the Word of God. Have you ever experienced this before? Have you ever had times when every time you're opening the Word of God, it's like God's talking to you directly? Have you ever had those times in your life? Sure you have. Have you ever had times in your life when no matter how much Scripture you try to read, and you get to the end of three pages and you don't even have an idea of one word that you read? You ever had that experience? I just want to tell you, when that happens in your life, I would encourage you to ask God to show you the sin in your life that is blocking you and causing your heart to be hardened to the Word of God. S- Kingdom words face satanic hindrances, and the first one is a hardness of heart. The second one is shallowness, shallowness of understanding or shallowness of faith. He describes that in verse 16 and 17. In verse 16 it says, Other, like seed uh, sown on rocky places, Hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Folks, Jesus was very honest with his hearers all the time. Listen to what the scripture says in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to verse 33. Scripture says large crowds were traveling along with Jesus. And Jesus turned to those large crowds and listened to what Jesus would say. We would say, oh man, large crowds are following me. I just got to keep them comfortable and keep them coming. But listen to what Jesus turned and said to them. He said, consider the cost of following me unless you're willing to give up everything you have You cannot follow me. And the crowds dispersed. Friends, I believe that one of the reasons why Christianity in the United States is so shallow today is because guys like me have preached for too long easy, cheap gospel that creates uh, an attitude uh, uh, that Christians don't have to have any roots And so, uh, an attitude that says Christians don't have to have any roots creates Christians without any roots. Jesus is point-blank honest. And He says, and I want to be honest with you. Folks, if you're going to follow Jesus, you are going to face trouble. All right, You're going to face trouble. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says, Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in your prayers. If you're gonna follow Jesus very long at all, you should expect persecution. Jesus says in John 15, 20, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they're also going to persecute you. There's a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 14, verse 21 through 23 that describes incredible growth in the kingdom that the apostle Paul was having as he was preaching through Asia. And it says, Paul preached the good news. And then after he had done so and won a lot of converts, it says he came back through all the churches. And I want you to listen to what he says. It says he came back through all the churches, strengthening and encouraging the disciples to remain true to the faith. And listen to what Paul says. He says we must go through many, many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Because I want to be honest with you because Jesus is honest with you. If you want a Christianity that is simple and easy and trouble-free, walk away from Jesus. Because in Jesus, trouble and afflictions and persecution will come. Don DeWelt, great, great writer of an earlier time, writes and he says, do not be attracted only by what is fair and beautiful in the gospel, though there's much that is fair and beautiful. Do not seek only the sweet and comfortable promises of Scripture, though there are many that are sweet and comfortable. Rather, count the cost before following Jesus and then follow Him. The kingdom words face satanic hindrances. Hindrance number one, hardness of heart. Hindrance number two, shallowness. Hindrance number three, preoccupations. That's what he says in verse 18 and 19. Let's continue on our story here as Jesus explains. He says, still others like seeds sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke out the word making it unfruitful. Jesus names three different types of thorns. He talks about the worries of life. Those are the things that distract you from things, uh, the things of God, the things of the kingdom of God. He talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. That is whatever deceives you in a false sense of security that your wealth will take care of all of your problems. And finally, the desires of other things. Whatever you love more than Jesus. And Jesus says all of these things, Will choke out the word in your life and make you unfruitful. Can I confess something to you? Uh, the other last weekend, I I uh, was taking a bicycle ride uh, down. Uh, Gary, I was uh, you ride tough roads. I ride easy roads. Okay, and uh, you're uh, I, I was riding uh, down the the Parkway and then up Route Five, and I went through a couple of those really cool neighborhoods on Route Five, and uh, they're really cool neighborhoods because they got really expensive houses. And there was a golf course running all down through, the, uh, through there. And, and I was riding along. And, man, I, at that point in time, I was probably 22 miles or so in my ride. And I was sweating, and it was hot. And I, you know, I was just chugging along, looking at all these houses. The more houses I looked at, uh, the more envious I became of the people living in those houses. And I started watching the cars coming by. There went a Lexus. There goes a uh, Mercedes. You know, there goes a Beamer. I used to drive an old Beamer. You know what I'm thinking? Uh, the more I, I'm thinking about those, all that stuff, the more envious I became of those people. And can I tell you, for about the next three days, the Word of God had no hope to do anything in my life. you understand the point? Satan's hindrances will block out kingdom words in our lives. Let's make this personal, sing a song, and go home. Two things, number one, you need to open, friends, if you're already a Christian, you need to open your heart to be changed by kingdom words of the Bible. I give you several ways to do that. Number one, you need to be regular, regular, regular in worship. Now when we're here together, Aaron and I try to preach solid gospel sermons, Bible-filled sermons, listen to what Hebrews 10 says. It says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage each other. And all the more as we see the day approaching. Folks, be regular in your attendance in in church. Be regular. Be here on on every Sunday you possibly can. But number two, be consistent in small groups. I talked about small groups early in the sermon, but I want you to understand, you will not remain a believer very long by yourself. Okay? Get involved in a small group. Talk to Aaron. He's right over here after service. He'd love to talk to you and get you hooked up into a small group that will help you grow in the study of God's Word. But thirdly, you need to be a student, a personal student of God's Word every single day. I start my day every day in the Word of God. And I would encourage you to find some time. Doesn't have to be an hour. It can be 15 minutes. can be 10 minutes. But find some time every day to be in the Word, to allow the Word to begin shaping your life. Finally, and I close with this, by making it personal, number one, you need to open your heart to be changed by the kingdom words of the Bible. But number two, you need to open your heart to receive the kingdom words of the gospel into your life right now. If you're here, you need to accept Jesus as Savior of your life. I'll be right here at the front, and I would love to give you that opportunity to do that this morning. Let's pray together today. Father God, I thank you very much for your kingdom words spoken to us today. And Lord, I, I know that as, uh, as they have been shared today, just as Jesus promised they, uh, that uh, in the story, that uh, Satan has tried to hinder the best that he could uh, the uh, hearing of the Word of God today. Some people are hardened and, man, the Word's not doing anything in their life. Other people are just so uh, caught up in the problems and the struggles of life and they're, they're, they're just very shallow in their faith and think that if they're following Jesus all ought to be well and still others are are uh, just trying to seek to do everything on their own build up their own bank accounts and live comfortably in this life rather than thinking about the life to come father I thank you for the reminder that you gave me uh, this past last weekend as I was riding and I was seeing so many beautiful houses. And you reminded me, Neil, don't be working for the houses of this world. But be working in your life and in the lives of people that you minister among to prepare them in building their eternal house in heaven. So Father, until Jesus comes, help us to be focused on the Word, Kingdom Word, found in scripture, the gospel, and all of scripture that can change our lives and multiply itself and make us unbelievably productive in the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, God, for this time of studying your word. And uh, if there's someone that needs to accept Jesus as Savior of their life, I pray that they would do so right now. stand, let's, let's sing together.